by love for a minute. What helps us love someone? Well, if you're married, you know some of the answers to that. If you're just dating, you're probably even more keenly aware of what can help us love someone. Uh, I got a list here. Uh, first, you got to know them. Uh, it's not like loving your favorite movie star if you really don't know. You got you got to know them. Then you probably have to accept them, which means this is for the married folks and the people who make it married. You've got to learn to live with the parts you like and the parts you don't like. Because if you can't accept someone, you're not going to really do a good job of loving them. you got to care about them. You may be able to take care of them. Sacrifice something you have for them. I don't know if I like that part. Where did I get this list? Um, maybe one of the ways to love someone is to help them improve their life. Maybe one of the ways to know you truly love someone is they help you improve your life. Well, I got to add one to it that wasn't on that list, but it is on this one. Uh, especially in the context of local missions, um, but in the context of a marriage or a relationship, you got to build trust. Trust is so foundational to any effective relationship. Okay, and so if we're thinking about doing local missions thinking about what am I going to do to build trust with the people I'm serving. Um, so let me ask another question. How can, you, how can you begin to love a stranger? What do you need to know about them? Well, you want to know some facts. You'd be looking for connections. Maybe we're the same age. If we're not, it might be difficult. You know, talk about our kids, talk about our grandkids. Understand what their priorities are. Understand if they're active in church. Do they know Jesus? Um, those are some of the things we'd want to do to love, to begin loving a perfect stranger, which is a pretty big command. But Jesus said neighbors, some of those are strangers. What um, if you want to love a whole neighborhood? Would Jesus try to love a whole neighborhood? Absolutely. Should a church try to love a whole neighborhood? I think so. So here's some principles to consider for local missions based on this and some other things we'll talk about. Uh, a person's context, where they're living, what they're like, what their demographics are, uh, impacts how to have effective gospel conversation. I truly believe that. I see that in our church planners all the time. Um, so if, if you go along with that principle, then you really need to work to understand people and you need to do to use the tools available to you, which would be kind of facts and data, but also uh, personal interactions. Uh, we'll talk about that some more too. Uh, I think if you want to really get to know someone, especially build trust, you got to plan it. It's a, it's a, it's a God-sized task. It's not an easy task. And then if you're talking about reaching people in our post-Christian culture, uh, you've got to build trust. And you'll use things like prayer, planning, perseverance, good, good biblical word, and relationships. And uh, I'll go back to this question thing. I think asking the right questions is important. So, uh, kind of take a moment, move yourself out of this room or out of your Zoom setting, and put yourself on a local missions team in your church. What are some of the questions your local missions team might ask? Where are we going on a mission trip this year? When are we going? 
going in July, which is really hot. <laughs> Who will we be working with? Usually that means the church or the missionary, but maybe the people group. Uh, what do we got planned? What are we going to do? Block parties, BBS, and, uh, and why are we going? Well, because Michael Lee knows the discipleship missions pastor at this church, and that's why we're going there. And besides, they got a nice big gym and they got showers. These the right questions? Or even these the right questions in the right order? I would say they're not. They're, they're more event-type questions. And we can make local missions an event, but my encouragement is for us to flip the script. That's one of my friend Paul Bernard's favorite expressions, and he's really good at local missions. So um, we're going to start with why. I think that's the most important place to start. Why do missions? And that's, a, that's, that's from a personal standpoint. Why, why does God want me to do missions? Three uh, good verses are in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. And God's grace with a powerful reason to do missions. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So we've got to get our motivation working and understand why we're doing it because we've got to do something hard. Something not easy. What? I think the question there is, how does God want me to use my gifts and life experiences to serve Him? See, the answer lies in understanding what's God already been doing in my mission field, in me. He's given you life experiences. He's given you gifts, abilities, skills. What are those? Look at those. And then start asking God, how do you want me to use them? Who? Who does God want me to use my gifts to serve? The gifts help you understand kind of what you're going to do, so that should help you figure out who you want to serve. Who would need those gifts? Who could who could I actually help? When's big? It's not about a time of the year. It's think of it as a, a frequency. How frequently, how often do I need to use my gifts? Probably a lot more than one. And then uh, and then where? Uh, the question there is where does God want me in light of the answers to all of the questions? See, it connects. It's kind of like doing Sudoku. I like to do Sudoku. I love to do Sudoku. It all connects. At the end, it all makes sense. But not until the end. In the middle, it looks like I'll never get this done. Good example for low missions. Um, this process works. Uh, this is not from reading a book. Uh, it is help watching church planners, but this is, God used this process, taught me this process caused me to live through this process 15 years ago when I was retiring uh, from my job at Entergy because I felt like God was telling me you need to do ministry. You've done you've done business long enough. And uh, and this was exactly how we did it. And I can tell you the story sometime if you're interested. I won't go on here because we've got other things to do. But uh, back up and talk about one of the parts of this that I think we miss, the frequent, the, uh, the, the, the timing and the depth. This is a, uh, a little... Two by two, really <coughs> matrix. Uh, actually, it's a three by four matrix. If you want to get detailed here, uh, the uh, vertical axis talks about the depth of engagement, and it starts at the bottom with just giving people money or things, and moves all the way up to doing something with an individual person. Very, very personal. 
the, uh, the horizontal axis, uh, you start on the far left, the frequency, it, it talks about the frequency of what you do, that's a yearly event, or you can move over quarterly, if you're a little braver you can go to monthly, weekly zone there, daily could be, just to make it something people consider doing maybe. Um, so this is how we want to think about what we're doing. Well, let's think about how what we do could affect us. Uh, the easiest thing is in the bottom left box. Give money or things I didn't want that have been sitting in the closet forever to people once a year. Pretty easy, right? Yeah. The place we don't want to go is that top right. Something one-on-one, -on -one, personal with people, weekly basis. Who has time for that? Busy person. Let's put one other, one other arrow on here. Let's look at, at both fulfillment and effectiveness. Kind of looks like the discomfort arrow, the one I don't like. But if you stop and think about it, if you're truly going to build trust with somebody, you're going to have to get all the way to the people angle. And it's going to probably need to be frequent. More frequent than you want to make it. Uh, I watch people do this, and it, and it really does work. And it's very convicting when you look at this. Uh, but it's true. So why does this process matter? Um, today's culture, and today's culture is worse than when I first wrote this. It's really bad. It's pull and the complexity is, is powerful. It's awful. It beats ministries up. Um, also, especially if you're working on trying to make this effective, uh, you're going to encounter spiritual warfare. If you're doing local missions and you don't encounter spiritual warfare, you're probably not doing local missions. Or church planners. Have conversations with them about the spiritual warfare, and I'll ask them, Do you think spiritual warfare is real? And they'll laugh at me. Kidding. Battle it every day. Uh, which means we must rely on prayer and God's provision. We, we, we can't do this in our own strength. We, we cannot. Which is why those questions about why am I supposed to do this can really be. Uh, we need to just admit that life change from missions and discipleship events may not produce relationships. They can start them, I'm not saying not do them, but connect them to the frequency of interaction. And then, let's just be real blank here. Let's just be real direct. Loving sinful people is not easy, but it's convenient. All the long problems. Yeah. So how can we start this process? I suggest Again, if you're back to your local missions uh, committee, you start with uh, looking at your community. Mission Insights too. I'll show you a little bit about it in a second, which comes from the big data world. It takes census data. Uh, it takes data from credit companies like Experian. It adds to that with uh, surveys and other things done statistically well. Um, to give our churches and associations uh, Demographic, religious belief, practice data. Very, very helpful. Um, and it's a good start, hear me, start at thinking about local missions. Because you can you can begin with data, you can begin to understand what are the kind of the questions I need to ask, what are the things I need to look for. And then you go, once you play around with the numbers for a little bit, and you go out and you start talking to people. And you, and you say, okay, we thought this, but let's, this is what we actually found around here. So here's some neighbor questions. Who's my neighbor? Okay, well, 
uh, what are the community's religious beliefs and practices? What are the people groups in our community? Now, we think of people groups, we think of IMB missionaries, things like that. Uh, people groups are everywhere. And uh, we've got a good resource for people groups. I'll show you some. You need to understand the people groups in your community. You need to understand the people groups in your church because they can be a connection. Okay? And that's not hard to do. Um, but you got to figure out the reason we want to stay in people groups so you can focus because you can't you can't just go running out through neighborhoods saying, let me help you. Um, you got a plan. you got to figure out what you want to focus on. you got to understand the social fault lines. What are the problems in the community? How can I meet a need and live out the gospel in front of people? That's the question. So, looking at Mission Insight, uh, it starts with a with a shape, with a geographically defined area. And the system has a lot of tools for doing that. You can do radius, you can do a square, you can do a county, you can do a city, whatever you want to do. Uh, one of my favorites is to pick a certain amount of time to drive and put this church right in the center of that. And this is in West Point, Trinity Baptist Church, 15-minute drive time. This is what that would look like. It'll map that out for you, just a matter of seconds. So this is the context I'm considering, okay? And so anyone in this context can be in my church in the last minutes. That's not too much. Sometimes I do 20. It depends. If you're, out, if you're in a very rural area, 20 is probably more likely because people have to drive a long ways to, to do anything, including getting to Walmart. In that 15-minute drive, you understand how many people are there, almost 18,000. If you've ever been to West Point, that's a lot of people. Almost 7,000 households or families. 56% of them are estimated to not be involved in any way in a religious congregation or community. 31% of the people self-report that they attend church weekly, which means they really don't. But they think they do. Okay. 51% of the families with children have only a female parent present. 5% of the families with children are even more frightening. They have only a male parent present. Single parent dads. Scariest thought you can imagine. Just saying that. Thank God. Woo! Fault lines. Social fault lines. Opportunities. Gee, Mission Insight will even show us where the single parent moms live if we want to know. They're the dots on the map. Or at least there's been a single parent mom that lived there, probably still is, may not be the same one when they sold this data. But uh, that's pretty powerful. Also, within 15 minutes, we know 22.5% of the families live below the poverty level, so we're not talking about people with a lot of money. 10% uh, of the population over 15 is divorced, 32% of the population are millennials, 20% are boomers. Um, 57% of the population is African American, 41% of the population is white, not Hispanic. It's an old, all white church. This is, these last two are pretty important. These are people groups, or part of the definition of people. you got to understand. Uh, let's, let's get a little more technical on people groups. Uh, Experian, the credit company, takes every household in the United States and divides them into one of 71 different people groups now. They aren't designed for missions, but they work pretty well for missions. They're designed to help marketers know how to reach people, connect with them, and who to sell their products to. And in this 50-minute drive time, the biggest group is called Rural Southern Bliss. And I'll, uh, I'll show you a little bit more about that. But you get an idea of the, like these five groups we cover all of about three quarters. And so you want to know, here's what the community looks like. What does the church look like? Who would good local mission team members be? Well... Some of them would fall into these groups. Some of them may not. Don't try to read this, but the, the dots represent the 71 different, show them the boxes, Judy. 71 different 
people groups. And uh, this is just a way to look at them that plots them against income, family, single, old, young, just give you a lot of different views. In this particular case, you can see all of them are down low, which means lower income areas. There are some young ones, but there's some, sing there's some singles. Uh, just kind of gives you a, a picture of it, but let, let me give you a better picture. Let's look at the biggest group. I don't expect you to be able to read the fine print up here. I'll, I'll get it for you, but you get an idea. But this is rural southern bliss. Um, lower to middle income, multi-generational families living in small towns. I think this is also the biggest peak group for Mississippi, but it's a big one in the West Point area. Uh, and this tells you some things about them. Age 46 to 50, uh, income 35 to 50,000 a year. Own a house, single family house. Uh, may have a child there, or maybe even a grandchild, maybe three person people in the family. Uh, they like status things when they're, when they're shopping. Uh, they have modest educations, multi-generational households. The channel preferences over the right, you see kind of symbols, one with somebody kind of a letter. Um, this will tell you that uh, they like to get information via email. There's a little number, you, you can't see it under each one of those symbols that gives you an index. Um, communicating by email is very, very uh, popular with this particular group. Um, they'll use their smartphone, they'll look at a website on their computer. Uh, the box under that, the little bell curve, shows you how they do with technology adoption. And this is important to see because what that tells you is these 50-year-olds are really good with technology. So if this is a group you're trying to reach, you need to have a good website. It needs to have mobile capabilities, meaning if you're looking at it on a computer, it needs to look one way to be readable, but if you look at it on a phone, you can also read it. And you can do that. Okay? It just takes a little more time and effort. But that's an important way to communicate. Sending them an email will work. Sending them a letter will work, but an email works twice as good. So you just need to understand that. And a great way to do it is to go, all right. So here on the mission team, how many of us are rural Southern Bliss? Kind of describe them. They go, I think I am. All right. So how could we reach you if you weren't in church? This this gives you something tangible to think about. They actually give them names, and Johnny is one of these. So I know this. I understand these people. Johnny and Janice. That's the couple. Uh, so it can be fun. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, on Dunlap Road in uh, West Point, there's a whole bunch of rural Southern Bliss people. Or if you've got a church member that lives right in the middle of that, what a great place to do a barbecue. Yeah, it's an event, but it's a relational event. And they won't think you're trying to get their money. Uh, you can also look at uh, census blocks. Uh, and so the dark blue uh, is a, let's go in a second here. The dark blue is a uh, high frequency of rural Southern Bliss people in it. Uh, so if you've got church members that live in that area, you can tell them, you got, you got, some easy hunting for our targeted group uh, in your neighborhoods. Uh, you can see places where you don't have any. So, again, just help you think about where you do your events. But again, this is just some of the information you can actually get a hold of. Let's talk about another group. There are clearly people in this building who can understand town elders, stable, minimalist seniors living in older homes and leading sedentary lifestyles and working in the Baptist building. <laughs> Careful, you may see ourselves in one of these. Uh, they don't got much money. They're over. They're 76 or over, so we're 
pretty safe, maybe. Uh, probably living by themselves. Uh, not very good with technology on the novice side. Uh, love to get a letter in the mail. That's why you see the direct mail business works so well. But if you wanted to really communicate with them, write them a note, mail it to them. A lot. Thank them for doing something. Gratitude to be able to work with. So we could just have a class now with people who understand this group. We have some represented here. Um, this is a smaller group, so you got to decide which group you want to work on. And you recognize probably what I'd do with town elders would be the same thing I would do with rural self-employers. It also wouldn't work for urban survivors, middle-aged and older singles uh, and single parent parents established in, mo in modest urban settings. There are actually some of these in the middle, I guess, of West Point if there's an urban part. Uh, this is the other reason to use tools like this. Uh, we would not think, we would Im immediately jump to, these are people who have less than $15,000 a year income, they're 51 to 65, uh, they rent uh, a house, uh, they're by themselves, they might have a grandchild show up every once in a while with them. Uh, but they're technology wizards. They can do things with their smartphone that we can't even imagine because that's, that's how they connect to the whole world. Okay, and if you understand this, and you want to try to help or reach urban survivors, you're going to have to have a way to send them emails, and maybe even a, a site, or, hey, let's get crazy. Churches now have their own church app. Okay. It's nuts, but it works. And, uh, and if you channel that to work with this particular group, you have a smaller group, but lots of needs, lots of opportunities. So why are we doing, why aren't we doing local missions well? I got a couple of suggestions here. What are the barriers? Uh, I think a lot of people believe that because Mississippi has plenty of churches with vacant seats, we don't have a lot of unreached people. They wanted to come to church. There's plenty of room. Look at all these seats. Especially if they want to come to the early service. How do you think they want to do that? They're sleeping in on Sundays. Come on. Um, so we generally think well, there's plenty of churches in Mississippi, so, yeah, everybody's a Christian here. Uh, another barrier is understanding and relating to people who have rejected religion but not Jesus. I think the reason they don't come to church is they don't like Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They haven't seen Jesus lived out by a really effective Christian. They've just seen people in our churches judge them when they come to church or say things about them or just want their money. So you got to understand how to relate to people like that. You got to work on building trust, and there's some huge barriers there. We got the information to show you that. Uh, this should be a favorite of several people. Where's Don Lum? He's not here. Belief that evangelism is Don Lum's job. No, it's the pastor's job. He's the one that's supposed to. No, no, the whole church is. Uh, this is a good one. Belief. We've done all we can to reach our neighbors. There's just nothing left to do. And busyness and the fact that we were successful at one point in time. And we were. We were. Critical success factors, the most important one is prayer. Focus is really critical. Um, you've got to understand your neighbor so you can begin to love your neighbor. You've got to figure out ways to build relationships. Frequent interaction, not just an event and nothing else after that. You've got to commit for the long term. Never stop presenting the gospel. 
learn how to make disciples in your own context. Uh, I think reaching others is best done by a committed team that will start with understanding people and their needs, identify ways to serve their needs, develop evangelism and discipleship plans that involve building relationships, plan for the long term. Got to give you an example. I don't know what we here. But a great example of this, and, and I'll give you this one because I think it'll stick because it's so unconventional, but it's so good. Uh, about two miles from here is an area of Jackson called Midtown. Scott Fort Pierce, I'm sure you all met him and know him. He's a great guy. He's a little crazy. No, he's a lot crazy. He's a, he's a really great guy. Um, and uh, one of Scott, not his only, but one of his local missions efforts is something, and his church is called Soul City Church. Uh, but one of his mission efforts is called Soul City Lawn Care. And Soul City Lawn Care is a lawn care business that Scott started. Uh, somebody's church gave him some money and he bought some lawn care equipment and he started a business. Uh, and it's just that, they do lawn care. And the people that work at Soul City Lawn Care are middle school boys who don't have fathers. And uh, they have certain times they show up, they have certain jobs they're going to go work on. Can't go work on a job unless you've shown Scott that you've done your homework. Even if it's virtual, you bring your computer or you get on the computer and you show him, I've done my homework, I'm up to date on my lessons, so he's teaching them responsibility. And then they go out and they work. And if you work all the assigned things you're given for a week, your pay is $40. $40. So me being the business guy, I asked Scott a stupid question. I said, so is Soul City making any money off your long your business? <laughs> he said, no, we're losing money. I said, why are you doing that? He said, are you kidding? It's the best discipleship program I got. Because I'm taking them to and from the jobs. They're riding with me in the truck. We're out there working. I'm talking with them all the time. I'm telling Bible stories. We'll do a Bible study. We'll pray. Uh, and by the way, I'm not doing this to teach them how to cut grass. I'm teaching them how to own a lawn care business one day. Okay? And then you stop and think about Scott's goal. He wants, he wants Soul City Church to have changed Midtown. And here's one of his measurements. I love his measurement. He said, in the evenings, depending on where you are in Midtown, you can usually hear a lot of gunshots. In some parts, you hear more than others, and so he tries to stay away from those places after dark. But he said, my goal is to hear less gunshots. And if you read the Jackson paper, you can understand that's a pretty big goal. But he's going to do it. And you think, well, gosh, it's going to take him forever. These, these kids are middle schoolers. Yeah, they're, they're probably only a few years away from shooting, making some of those gunshots. But if Scott keeps working with them, they won't. And he will change that community. But I mean, that's a long-term proposition. It's not the only thing he does. But imagine their single-parent mom who sees this guy investing in their child and giving them spending money that they earn and teaching them responsibility. Imagine how they feel about Soul City Church. Is that church after them for their money? So, you won't be able to forget that one. I don't. I, I, I can't. And I know. I've seen some of the kids, and they all they would all go to his church. And they would hear a good sermon. But the best sermons are the sermons he preaches when they're out cutting grass, weed, and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, so, 
who is my neighbor? Uh, Jesus answers that in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put them on his own beast and brought them to an inn and took care of them. Took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. What's this parable about? What was the problem? Us, religious people. Jesus is talking. That's a priest in here. We all are believer priests, right? Let's get our, let's get our, he's talking to religious people. That's his behavior. So, what is our responsibility? Go and do the same. How do we obey Jesus today? I don't know. You think about it. Go back to that local missions team I suggested. Or become one yourself. Um, Judy put up a deal here that says do it yourself. Or be your own missions person. Um, you can email Cheryl or I, either one, and we'll send you this how to register. And you can have your own Mission Insight account and do these studies if you want to. Or give them to somebody, some nerd you know in your church, and they can do it. Uh, and they can, they can have uh, their own Mission Insight. It doesn't cost anything for you. only thing you ever spend any money if you start buying mailing lists, and they will charge but you'll know before you get there. So if I ask for your credit card, don't get it. Get there. <laughs> but there's a code there that you sign up for our account, and, and the convention pays for this. And it's a very, very, it's a very sophisticated tool. It's not hard to learn. You can learn. Uh, and if you need help, I'll, I'll help you. Uh, and if you got more questions on this, you can uh, feel free to, to email me or call me or whatever. Um, I can tell you some more Scott Fort Berry. Soul City Long Pier stories. There's some good ones. So, um, are you in charge? Can I close this in a prayer? Will that work? Okay, with that? Let's pray. Father, the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan is a uh, really clear picture for us. Um, thank you for using that in your word. Thank you for us seeing that and remembering that from our childhood, most of us knowing that it's still about us and that you still expect us to go out and care for them. But we care for them in such a way that we live out the gospel. Father, that is impossible to do in our own strength. We can only do that with you. My prayer is for my friends here today to, uh, to ask you to help us to, to serve the people you want us to serve, that you have equipped us to serve, uh, whatever that may be, however that looks, and to be a part doing that in our local church and encouraging churches around the state to do. Well, we thank you for, for the confidence that we know uh, as Slater spoke to us today, that if, if you start us in, a, in the direction you want us to go in, then you will be there with us no matter how long it takes. And what it takes. 
confidently step out in faith.